everybody happy? I sigh. I cry. Why, it's just a bit of heaven. When my baby, when my baby smiles at me. You're a sweetheart in a million. Ooh, be my Aurora. I mean, at least you feel a little more comfortable and safe when I'm around. Doctor, when I have to turn to you for protection, I'll... The Bloody Pit. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we are back again to talk to you about here on the episode, let's see, this is episode, I think, 94. Uh, If I'm wrong, I apologize. Check the show notes, people. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are back again to talk about uh, universal films, universal horror films, made in the 1940s. And now this episode, we are actually stretching things outside Mm -hmm. the bounds of what I would consider to be strictly horror, Mm -hmm. much as we did kind of with The Invisible Woman. Yeah, yeah. But it's, uh, you know, we're kind of using the uh, Tom Weaver, uh, Michael Brunis, etc. book mm-hmm. as our guideline. And we looked at what was the next released mm-hmm. film mm-hmm. listed in that book. And mm-hmm. it was Hold That Ghost, mm-hmm. the Abbott and Costello yep. horror comedy. Mostly, I would actually, let's call it comedy horror film. Yeah, yeah. Because it's it, the emphasis is definitely on the comedy. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we decided to stick with that lineup and go ahead and not jump to the next movie, which is The Wolfman, which mm-hmm. you'd think most of us would just want to rush mm-hmm. straight toward. Mm-hmm. But we're going to wait. Mm-hmm. We're going to do Hold That Ghost first, and then the next time out we'll yeah. do Hold That Ghost. Although I don't think we'll get to Hold mm-hmm. That... I guess we'll get to Wolfman in January? Yeah, it might be a couple months, but the next time we, yeah, it will be our next chapter in this series here. And the reason for that is we will be releasing an episode uh, between that, but it is, of course, our annual holiday horror episode in which we'll be talking about the movie To All a Good Night. Yep. Yeah, what year did that come out? I don't even know. Oh, gosh. Sometime in the 80s? I think so. I don't recall right off. <laughs> what, it's, a, what? it's a David Hess holiday yeah. horror film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, meaning that he directed it. Yes, he's, yeah. Nothing says holidays like Hess. Like, <laughs> <maybe. laughs> yes, I, no. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, this time out we're talking about uh, our first Abbott and Costello film. I have to be honest, when we started this, I thought that what our first Abbott and Costello film would be would actually be... One of my favorite movies of all time, having Costello meet Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah. In fact, that might end up being, may almost end up being, if we go all, if we reach that, that might be the end of our series. I'm not sure what after it It, might be the way we finish it. I would think so. But there's a lot of things that need about doing this film is because, in a lot of ways, without this film, that film probably never happens. You know, as we'll get into as we go. True. This is very true. Um, As I said, I think 
Frankenstein meets uh, that, Heaven Costello meet yeah. Frankenstein is absolutely one of my favorite oh, horror comedies oh, of all absolutely time. Me too. Yeah. And I think that uh, part of the reason why that one is so good and is so rewatchable is that the horror elements in it are taken seriously and the comedy mm. is actually mm. really damn funny. Yeah. Very good. And very so, smart um, comedy. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to see this one, you know, eight years, well, seven years previous mm-hmm. and to see the differences between the approach, if mm. nothing else. Mm-hmm. But before we do that, we'll. Make mention of, uh, well, I wanted to bring up something very interesting, which was, uh, mm-hmm. did you go out to the Bell Court and see the lighthouse? I did not. I wanted to, but I okay. did not get to make it out to see the lighthouse. That's uh, Robert Eggers' mm-hmm. uh, new film. This is the man who made The Witch a mm-hmm. few years ago. Uh, the lighthouse, uh, really kind of a two-hand, two-hander just Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson, and mm-hmm. um, you know, lots of people. Want, I mean, Willem Dafoe is, of course, astonishing, and a lot of people have a lot. I'm sure have a lot of doubts about the the, the man who got himself famous and rich playing an, an, <laughs> an, 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 yeah, an emo sparkly vampire in mm-hmm. the Twilight series. But to be honest, he's a very good actor, and I've mm-hmm. seen he's he's yeah. obviously been doing a lot of hard work making sure that people see him in a lot of different types of movies over the years. Mm-hmm. There was that uh, Australian. Post-apocalyptic film he was in with Guy Pierce a few years ago, which was just amazing. I didn't see that. Um, it struck me at the time as as someone doing a realistic version of the Road Warrior. Mm, wow! And cool. I was I just really thought it was a fantastic mm-hmm. film, and Pattinson was very good in that. Um, but then you know you you're butting heads with somebody like Guy Pierce, so mm-hmm. you better bring your A game. And much the same thing in uh, the Lighthouse, where you know mm-hmm. you're butting your head up against Willem Dafoe, and it's really just the mm-hmm. two of you on screen for you know nearly two hours. You yeah. best bring your A game. Yeah. Well, it's and, interesting that really the. And her name is escaping me right now, unfortunately. But the main actress from the Twilight series has kind of been doing a similar thing. I mean, she's yeah. uh, she's really kind of gone down that path too of taking very interesting roles, proving herself to be a very good actress, and taking very challenging stuff and trying well, to get out of that. Yeah. It looks like they both kind of wanted to not be always thought of as as the as the Twilight couple, you know, from there. which so. is all well and good. I will say that I think uh, Kristen Stewart is the weaker of the two of them because there's a let's just say that I really enjoyed. Um, mm the uh, Snow White and the Huntsman film. Mm-hmm. But there is a crucial scene in that movie where Miss Stewart needs to really bring some gravitas to it mm-hmm. and she fails miserably. Really? So I haven't seen yeah. that. I, the one I want to see is, I know she did one that's almost, I think, kind of a ghost story maybe, but where she's playing okay. somebody who's, I know has, has just had a, a lost somebody very close in her life and I think it, it kind of made the art house circuit there or whatever, but I think it may have... Maybe you sort of uh, have a supernatural slant to it, too, although I could be wrong about that. But I've heard really good things about that she's very good in that. The Australian film with Guy Pierce that Pattinson did was called The Rover. Okay. From about uh, 2014. Mm. Very good film. And like I say, I've seen him in... Uh, he did Maps to the Stars. And um, mm. he did two films with, with David Cronenberg. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, Cosmopolis and Maps to the Stars. I still haven't seen Maps to the Stars, I, haven't I have to admit. And uh, like I said, you know, the Lost City of Z, which I hear good things about. And you just look at what he's been doing since then, and it's just he's definitely an actor trying to take really intriguing roles and going out of his way to do different things. Yeah. Yeah, right now, Kristen Stewart has got that new reboot of Charlie's Angels right, coming yeah. out, which actually yeah. looks like it, it might does, be interesting. It could be fun. might be good. I mean, it's it's Elizabeth Banks mm-hmm. kind of d- directing it and mm-hmm. shep- kind of shepherding it through things. So that right. that has the the idea, that has a, a decent idea mm-hmm. there. And she's in this this current movie. That's well, this movie is about to come out. We've seen the trailer for it a couple of times, and both times Beth and I go, "That is the shittiest title they could have come up with." This movie, and literally, it's it's just called Underwater. 
<laughs> and it's 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 an underwater monster movie, mm. and that's the t- underwater. And it's like <laughs> that could not have been the title that they filmed this oh, under. Yeah. This was some you know focus group chosen title for this <laughs> yeah. freaking thing, and it's just an absolute fail at the title level. Mm. I'd love to know. I, I, yeah. I, there's a part of me that just wants to know what what did they think this movie was going to be called when they were making it? Because underwater, it, it would have inspired no one. Now she's playing Gene Seberg in a in a biopic apparently, which that sounds intriguing. I'd be interested to see what that's, they do with that. That's, that's that means she's idea. trying to do something. You, you know, know. and that, that's interesting to us because we just obviously, you know, uh, our last episode, we did a film with Jim yeah. Seberg. So. That would be intriguing, but I'm yeah. going to have to check that out. Mm. That just came out this year. So, mm. But, um, yeah, yeah, The Lighthouse is worth seeing. Okay. It is very much of a piece with uh, The Witch, which yeah. is... I you know uh, uh, mm-hmm. characters in isolation going mm-hmm. slowly mad. Yeah, right. Yeah, and um, he shot it in Academy ratio, square the square aspect ratio, and in black and white. Wow. Yeah. And uh, it's really, really interesting. Absolutely fascinating. I heard some some people talking before I I got to see it, saying that they had some trouble sometimes making out the dialogue. I didn't have that trouble. I don't understand. No, no. I don't understand why anybody would have that trouble. Other than mm-hmm. it very much is the dialogue from the late nineteenth century. So. Mm-hmm. They're they're speaking, um, what shall we say, the patois of yeah. sailors of that of that time period. But you know that's yeah. it's not really hard to figure out. No. <laughs> so um, really good, cool. really bleak, as you might um, expect from the man who. Here's here's a question for you. You've seen the witch, right? Oh yeah. Okay. Well, here's a question, and this is mm-hmm. this is something that's kind of been irking me now that I've seen the lighthouse, which, as I say, is very much of a piece with. Mm his previous movie, The Witch. Mm-hmm. And um, folks, I'm going to talk about the end of The Witch here in some non-specific terms, but in a generality way that might still kind of ruin the movie for you. And if so, I apologize. But here's the thing. I want to talk about this, and I've been holding off for years. Uh-huh. Too many people that I know keep insisting that the ending of the movie, the ending of The Witch, is literal. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, like, yeah, so many people are like, and the, yeah, and then it's it's crazy because then you know it turns out th- th- that there are these witches out there, and I was just like, no man, no, that's not true at all. That's an interpretation of it. But yeah. quite honestly, I think she's clearly hallucinating and has gone mad. Yeah, gone psychologically. Yeah, yeah, that and, yeah. And, but these people keep insisting, no, that's 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 literally happening. I'm like, what is your basis for thinking that? I mean, because <laughs> do you really think that the goat was speaking to her? <laughs> do you right, really right. think that was yeah. happening, or do you not think that this was the religious fervor mm-hmm. combined with mm-hmm. various and sundry, you know, the, the lack of sustenance and mm-hmm. just the, the 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 madness of the mm-hmm. the event that were transpiring as that family deteriorated mm-hmm. I, I don't mm-hmm. I don't see that that is a valid I mean okay mm-hmm. if you want to interpret it that way you can sure yeah I mean, but I mean is that what I mean is that what did you take the ending of that mm-hmm. movie literally no I didn't I okay didn't, yeah no no I didn't no I thought that was I thought that very even from the very first all the way back to the baby disappearing I yeah. thought it was something that she had well, see had, my had, assumption was that either it's a we're not being given the full details on exactly mm. what happened to the baby, right. or the baby did get snatched by an animal. Yeah, and that yeah, and I mean, maybe, and maybe in her own mind again, she just did, yeah. did just did, yeah that it could have it could have no. been, you know and you know the amount of guilt mm. that's being heaped on that little girl for mm. oh yeah for, for being held responsible for mm. the disappearance of that child. Mm. I mean, the things that can do to your mind, especially given the mm. completely insane. Religious upbringing and, and the, the cloistered life that they were leading, the mm-hmm. very isolated mm-hmm. existence. 
I just, mm-hmm. I, I kept being stymied by talking to people around the time that movie came out and, and these people insisting that, no, I mean, the, the, the witch was real. I'm like, what is your basis for thinking the witch was, <laughs> the witch was real? It's very, see, it seemed very much yeah. obvious to me that this was madness. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I can, I can see how you can oh, yeah, read it either way. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if you want to, you know, I mean, if, if you want to, to give it a supernatural aspect and believe the witch mm-hmm. is real, I mean, it's certainly... Don't do anything to tell you not. I mean, I think it is there for you to interpret yeah. either however you want, you know, either way, you know, however you choose to, to do it, you know, I think is, is it's. Yeah, it's, but I think it's, it's wrong. It's yeah. completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just curious because I, I didn't think you and I had ever talked about. Yeah, I don't know if uh, we have or that, not, but I just. That oddity, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but no, I didn't think that a lot of things were meant to be taken literally in there, yeah. you know, taken, you know. I, think I can just remember having multiple conversations with people around the time that movie was playing in the theaters and people just insisting that the ending mm. was literal and i'm going what mm-hmm. what what huh yeah and then honestly i mean i have it stopping myself from getting into arguments because i realized that it was really kind of pointless a, mm-hmm. a pointless argument mm-hmm. but it was just it, that's still now having watched the lighthouse where there are these moments in the movie where the two characters suddenly start to diverge mm-hmm. on how much time they think has passed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to the point where one character thinks a couple of days has passed and the other is going we've been here three months mm. and you know it's, it's an utter shock because uh, both yeah. of them are sure that they are correct uh, uh. and then you know there are all these mm. visions that one character has and just these hallucinations that are obvious hallucinations but then there are things that you're not sure about mm. until the so, end uh. or i think it's pretty you know it's pretty he leaves it up to interpretation in cer- certain in- instances in the lighthouse but i think mm. the ending kind of lays lays uh a kind of black pall over trying to pretend that there was actually something supernatural going on. But hmm. um, nevertheless, uh, Lighthouse, if you need a good, dour, dark, and depressing, <laughs> yeah. well-acted film, the Lighthouse is your is your key to fun. <laughs> but never, a perfect lead into an Abbott Costello movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So now let's switch gears. <laughs> All right, folks, hang on a second, and then uh, we'll come back and we'll talk about Hold That Ghost from 1941. I'm Jeff Sandwich. You might not know me, barely anyone does, except my mother and her cocker spaniel, Alan. But I have listened to every single movie podcast that has ever been made. I don't get out much, and sometimes I have to make toilet in a bottle. What did he just say, Marjorie? However, having completed this exhaustive research, it is my assertion that the After Movie Diner podcast, with its heady mix of comedy, movie banter, fandom, passion, beards, music, and voluminous thighs, is in fact the greatest movie podcast available anywhere, even Holland. Find the After Movie Diner podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, and AfterMovieDiner.com. Now, where's that bottle? I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a serialized monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror films. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos, The Hands of Fate, and the original chill role-playing game. My goal is to recreate the thrills of the Monster vs. Monster films that we all love. We'll have vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, and scheming madmen. And that's just in the first storyline. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors and other monster stories sent directly to your email for as little as a dollar a month. For just two dollars, you'll get all the chapters in advance, plus bonus stories and other perks. 
Sign up now at CushingHorrors.com or visit SDSullivan.com for a Patreon link. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again. And remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. The following is a message from the American Podcast Council. We need your help. Podcastophobia strikes four out of five Americans every day, and chances are that someone you love or could love given time is currently suffering from this devastating affliction. But it doesn't have to be that way. For zero dollars a day, you can help. Please, make some time today to let just one person know about a favorite podcast of yours. It can be this one, but it doesn't have to be. But it probably should be, but seriously, no pressure. And show them where to find it and how to download, play, and subscribe to it. And tell us what you recommended. Use the hashtag tripod. That's T-R-Y pod. Thank you for speaking out. And thank you for listening. Good evening, folks. Want to start off with a little soup? Yeah, I don't like soup. Give me a reason. I don't have to give any reason other than I don't like soup. Well, maybe the young lady would like to have some soup. She doesn't like soup either. It's good soup. I don't care how good it is. We don't want any soup. Well, somebody's got to eat the soup. Well, feed it to the chef. The chef is all souped up now. Daddy, I think I will have some soup. You'll do nothing of the sort. Oh, Daddy. I mean, after all, don't talk back to your father. I'm not her father. Well, then why don't you let the young lady have some soup, then? Why don't All you let her? All right, give her some soup. Give me some soup. Give us both some soup. I'm sorry, but we run out of soup. You've got it here on the menu. Well, I'll take it out of the menu. I mean, after all, we ain't going to give you nothing that you ain't got in there. So, I'm awful glad he ain't your father. <laughs> here, wash it down. I mean, because I think you're awful cute. Oh, boy. Hold That Ghost from 1941, a horror comedy film starring the team of Abbott and Costello. It also features uh, a number, well, at least three actors, uh, the three other actors mm-hmm. that I think are, uh, that shine just as brightly yeah. as the two of them yeah. do in this movie. Yeah. And that is, uh, cast. oh yeah, really great cast. Before we talk about the movie itself, I think it's fascinating to discover exactly how the movie got made. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to say, it, it tickles one of my... Uh, my lost film bones really, really mm. hard to learn this stuff because Ivan Costello got started in the, uh, they became a comedy team in about 1938 and they really made their bones and uh, honed their act doing burlesque shows. Mm. So um, when uh, Hollywood came a call in, they got the first, the, the first film that they got put into was just as a, a kind of a, a sideline piece in a, in a film uh in, a, in, a, in someone else's film, but the, the even though the film wasn't apparently a very big hit, the reaction of the audience to the two of them and the bit that they did in the movie was very strong. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there was a lot of interest in seeing how they would fare as the mm-hmm. leading team in a series of films, or at least a film mm-hmm. to see what happened. Was that One Night in the Tropics? Was that the film that they had the, were kind of the supporting... Yes, it was a, it's a musical, and mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. they just stole the show and uh, doing a couple of their classic routines. As a matter yeah. of fact, they did it. They did uh, Who's on First yeah. in that, which of course was a massive, yeah. massive hit with the audience. Even if the film wasn't a great big box office success, it's kind of similar to uh, what happened with uh, Peter Sellers' Inspector Clouseau character, who was this supporting character in the original Pink Panther film, yep. but just became was just stole his scenes the way he did. That launched the series to where it became he became the central character. Correct, and. 
So you end up with Universal Studios deciding, well, we can, you know, probably make a boatload of money out of this if this is a if this uh, if this works. And so they shot their first movie called uh, it's called Buck Privates, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's um, kind of basically what you would expect from a movie that's concocted to have selected comedy bits from these two. Mm-hmm. Along with musical numbers, yeah. it, it really is very much a. It's almost like watching an eighty-minute long uh, sketch comedy mm-hmm. stage play in a way in mm-hmm. which there is a through line, but it's really all about each individual scene being. It's something yeah. you can almost take out of the movie. Oh yeah, and set it to the side and watch it on its own, and it would have just as much effect on you. Yeah, whatever the story is trying to tell, it doesn't mind just coming to a complete halt from time to time, just so we can either have a song or have a routine or have a, or have a have comedy a boxing. Yeah, yeah have a comedy. Yeah boxing match where mm-hmm. Luke Costello gets mm-hmm. his ass kicked yeah. in an amusing yeah. way, right? So, Buck Privates was a massive hit. I mean, mm-hmm. just humongous. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, they had already started shooting their next movie, which at the time was called Oh Charlie. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, by the way, is this movie, Hold That Ghost. Yeah, yeah. But they had already started shooting Oh Charlie, but Buck Privates was so successful, the studio decided to delay the release of the second movie... <laughs> To hastily make and release a second service service comedy, so they they, they were like, we got to stick to the, we got to stick to the the, the scenario and the, the 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 kind of basically basic template already laid out in Buck Privates. We just the the the, the that would, the audience responded really well to this. So yeah. what we're gonna do yeah. is just make another service comedy with these guys, and it'll kind of be structured the same way, and we got it made. So they made they stopped making. They were already making Oh Charlie. Mm-hmm. And they stopped and then made, went and made, in the Navy, a completely different film with uh, Dick Powell and the Andrews Sisters. Again, the Andrews Sisters mm-hmm. were in uh, yeah. Buck Privates as well. That film in the Navy outgrossed Buck Privates. So, you know, Universal was probably right to do what they did. Mm-hmm. But after they stopped shooting in the Navy, after that one was completed, they went back to start shooting Oh Charlie again. It was put back into production, mm-hmm. and they decided that since the template now is being has been set for the Abbott and Costello stuff, that we need mm-hmm. to interject into O'Charlie musical numbers. Yeah, but the thing is, that's not the way the movie was originally made. Right. Uh, O'Charlie was actually not going to have musical numbers. So what ended up happening, sadly, and I this this is what gets on my nerves is there were whole segments, whole comedy mm-hmm. segments that they'd shot to be in the movie. Mm-hmm. That they just threw out to make room for the musical acts. Mm-hmm. And there's a part of me that just wishes to God somebody had retained those sequences so we could see them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, I mean, as far as I know, they're just gone. Yeah, right. Uh, that, I don't think we're ever going to see mm-hmm. any of that stuff. I just, that's the kind of stuff that got routinely thrown out. Nobody mm-hmm. cared. And I suspect, although I don't know for sure because I'm far from an expert on Abbott and Costello's movies, but I suspect. Now, some of those pieces that were filmed and not used may have turned up in later Abbott and Costello movies Impossibly. as they're churning through ideas yeah. because God knows they made enough movies. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And in a very short time, too. Yeah. So the, the information that's that's out there about the original version of the film is that the original screenplay opened with uh, Chuck and, and Ferdy, that would be Abbott mm-hmm. and Costello, mm-hmm. working at a gas station or working at the, the gas station that they owned and featured many scenes of Madsen's gang planning or attempting to scare the boys out of the tavern. Uh, at the climax, another faction of Matten's gang who had escaped from prison arrives and the rival gangs fight over the loot, which turns out to be counterfeit. The uh, state police who had picked up 
the uh, wildcat bus driver who is near the beginning of the film arrive and arrest the gang members. Well, all that's gone. Mm-hmm. None of that is in this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Literally none of yeah. it exists yeah. because they just carved all that out and threw it to the yeah. side mm-hmm. and went with uh, a much more piecemeal story setup and mm-hmm. to, to the point where it's very, it does feel very much like Buck Privates to me in that you could take just chunks out of this movie mm-hmm. And this movie has a through line. You do have a you know yeah, a kind of yeah. over, a kind of overarching story of mm. what happens within it. But you could you know you could just sit and show people like the candle sequence mm. or that mm. the, that uh, hysterical dance sequence oh, yeah. Yeah. between uh, Joan Davis and yeah. uh, uh, Lou Costello. You could just show people that, and believe me, mm. that's going to get you laughing yeah. right there. Yeah. But you know, so it doesn't really matter that it's part yeah. of a larger story, right? And other than that dance sequence, you know, the the only other musical numbers they had to figure out how do we put those in there when there's just no way to fit them into the main story unless we had the Andrews sisters go along with you know yeah. be somehow end up being part of that group because so they just set this beginning where they're the waiters. And then the last part of the film, you know, it's kind of yeah. like the bookends of the film or where we get the... Yeah, the, so what, the, what they came back and did was, mm-hmm. it was supposed to start with them at the gas station, mm-hmm. but what they, well, that, now the movie starts with the two of them having been sent to work as waiters at this place where the mm-hmm. Andrews sisters sing. Right. So you're able to get some amusing stuff going on inside mm-hmm. this restaurant as they fuck up being waiters. Yeah. Big shock. Mm-hmm. And then, <laughs> then we segue to the gas station and the, the plot proper begins. It's like that whole opening sequence is like, mm-hmm. hey, enjoy the Andrews sisters because then the movie's going to begin. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I guess we should uh, I guess we should talk uh, a bit about the uh, plot in some kind of uh, in some mm. kind of order. Although mm. not, I, I, we're already jumping all around because <laughs> yes, we are. I had to I had to get in the uh, rather frustrating to me knowledge about there having been sequences shot for this mm. that we'll now never see. That's mm. really frustrating. <laughs> but then again, I mean. Um, no, somebody would have said something because there's that new Blu-ray set that's about to come out from Scream Factory. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. gonna ha- that's literally all, all of the Abbott and yeah. Costello films, the yeah. entire run of them, with a bunch of extras, mostly uh, commentary tracks from a bunch of mm-hmm. fans and film fi- and you know and film yeah. historians and stuff like that. Um, I know Troy Howarth has done two of them. Yeah, but the. Uh, number of commentary tracks is really impressive but I don't know if there's any like lost footage or or anything like that I've I've looked at the details but I don't see anything like that Mm -hmm. it just appears that there's a bunch of commentary tracks and production notes and stuff like that on those new Blu-rays which makes them good enough because there are lots of commentary tracks and and with a lot of different people to my knowledge I think the only Abbott Costello film so far prior to this that's had a commentary track was was Abbott Costello meets Frankenstein I don't think there's been any commentary tracks on any of the previous films I I had the previous uh, Blu-ray of Buck Privates and it didn't have anything on it so but the uh, the joy of this is that uh, with all these different commentary tracks, I mean, they even got uh, Frank Conniff, TV, yeah. TV's, TV's Frank, Frank. from yeah, Mystery right. Science Theater. He did uh, he does the commentary on one of them, and it's just like, hey, yeah. that's that's yeah. fantastic. Plus, yeah. there's a whole extra disc of a bunch of uh, you know documentary stuff and stuff and things of that nature. But yeah, they didn't appear to be. Let's just say that 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 hmm. those scenes were probably shredded long ago, yeah. re- recycled to, to, to be used <laughs> for some other project. So, <laughs> well, but. As I said, originally this movie was shot in two different chunks uh, around the shooting of In the Navy, and then they retitled it Hold That Ghost, because I think that's a good idea, because Oh Charlie... Yeah, that's that's a lot. That is a reoccurring line yeah. at a certain point in the movie, but yeah. it's like that's that's not a, gr- a real grabber of a no, title. It's not. So good, good idea to uh, call it "Hold That Ghost" because boy, did it work! Apparently, yeah. this was a massive hit, mm-hmm. and at mm-hmm. the time, 
Uh, there are still people who say, I've read mm. several people saying mm. this online, and they're mm. not kidding around. They think this is their best movie. Oh, wow. I would have to say, I don't feel that way. No, I don't either. But, I mean, it, it definitely has good things about it. And like I said, this cast is very strong, and, and the high points are very are really well done. You know, yeah. the highlights are well done. I don't don't get me wrong. I like mm. the movie. Mm-hmm. It's just that, as far as I'm concerned, if you're gonna if you're gonna juggle, I, I actually yeah, there's I, others I, I like more. there there are others, especially of their like spooky movies. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, that I like a lot more. Nothing, in my opinion, is better than Abbott Costello no, meets Frankenstein. That's, that's the best. I also yeah. love uh, Abbott Costello meet uh, Boris Karloff mm-hmm. or meet the killer Boris yeah. Karloff. Yeah, and um, I, I like most of those, mm-hmm. even though they're not all as good as the the, the very first one. But Hold That Ghost, I think, is is really really good. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there are other there are other Abbott and Costello movies that I've enjoyed more. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't change the fact that this is a pretty fun movie. Yeah, it is. Even though it is, it does feel a whole lot of the time like it's bits and pieces that are being strung together very loosely. <laughs> uh, but that is <laughs> that's that's true of a lot of Abbott and Costello mm-hmm. movies. So let's yeah, oh that's, yeah, that's really kind of beside the point to a certain degree. I will say that it is always a bit of a shock to me having really absorbed those movies they made in the late 40s and mm-hmm. early 50s mm-hmm. because of the fact that I'm, you know, monster nut. Yeah. And those are the ones that I mm-hmm. that I first watched because it's like mm-hmm. I want to see the monsters again. Mm-hmm. It was it's a real shock to see them essentially 7 years earlier than that where there's a lot I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to, to to this isn't a negative but they just have a lot of energy and mm, yeah. I gotta say Lou Costello takes a lot of physical punishment yes he does yes he holy does holy crap there are times when he's doing this physical comedy and there's mm. a part of me that just kind of wants to step in and go hey hey is he okay yeah <laughs> is he alright yeah because he looks like he got damaged on that <laughs> And apparently he was hell to try and keep the camera on too, according according to the yeah, director the, Arthur Lubin. You know, yeah. they said that he was he was almost impossible. You almost just had to tell someone to just keep a camera on just him and just follow him wherever he went. You know, catch whatever he does. You well, know. that that's something I think Lubin said that was kind of amusing, which was uh, Bud Abbott hmm. was always on target and yeah. knew the script backwards and forwards. Mm-hmm. And Costello would sometimes know the script, but sometimes yeah. not, and have to be yeah. coaxed or coached. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes just like start going off in the middle of a yeah. line of dialogue, mm-hmm. and it, and I think for Lubin it was it was kind of frustrating at times because it was clear that Costello knew the line yeah. because they'd just done a take and he'd gotten the line. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they were doing it again, and he was just like he got bored and thought of something yeah. more interesting and did that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that that comes out in a couple of scenes in the movie where it it turns out that uh, Costello was just riffing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that ended up being used in the film instead of what was actually scripted. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. But once again, that just points toward uh, mm-hmm. outtakes and things that I would like to be able to see. <laughs> I want to see this stuff if it exists out there. Oh, but it probably doesn't exist. <laughs> I'm going to stop crying about it now. Oh, maybe I'll stop crying about it. Anyway, let's talk about this movie. Yes. Gas station attendants Chuck Murray, that would be Abbott, mm-hmm. and Ferdy Jones... Aspire to better jobs. Working at, as temp waiters at Shea Glamour, a high-class nightclub <laughs> where Ted Lewis and the Andrews sisters perform, Chuck and Ferdy cause a ruckus and are fired by the snooty uh, maitre d'. Back at their uh, service station, gangster Moose Matson brings his car in for gas, and when he's spotted by the police, he speeds off with Chuck and Ferdy caught inside the vehicle with him. During the chase... Madsen trades bullets with the police and is eventually killed. Cut to the boys sitting in front of a lawyer who's explaining to them that according to the gangster's unconventional will, 
uh, they are the ones who inherit his money. Yeah, I love his, I love his wills. Just basically, everybody, you know, I trust nobody. Everybody, you know, yeah. who's around me is a sleaze. So I'm just whoever's the person, the last person to see in my last breath, whoever's sitting there gets everything, no matter who it is. So yeah, <laughs> which is I'm, I'm not sure that's legal. <laughs> yeah. I'm really not sure. Even in 41, I think there may have been yeah. laws yeah. against this. Yeah. But when your name is Moose Matson, who's going to argue with you though? Really. <laughs> True. I mean, what are you going to say? Yeah. Uh, well, the thing is, according to the gangster's will, they inherit things, but really the only thing that they can actually inherit, because it's the only thing he has legal title to, mm-hmm. is this, this his estate just really boils down to this old rundown tavern that's kind of off the beaten path, mm-hmm. and that's what they get. And so they're like, well, okay, we'll, we'll go there and see, you know, see if there's anything of value and see maybe if we can turn this thing into something. Mm-hmm. But Matson had also given a cryptic clue about a hidden stash of money stating that he, quote, kept his money in his head. Mm-hmm. But its existence and location remain a mystery because everybody just always assumed that essentially he probably just has bank serial numbers or, yeah. you know, yeah. safety deposit box numbers or some kind of code that will allow him to access cash that he has stashed away someplace. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> that is not the truth. No, no. <laughs> that is not the way things break down. Now. I love movies from this period. Mm-hmm. I love wackadoo comedies of this mm-hmm. type. Mm-hmm. And I love this setup. Yeah, yeah. And I, I have to say, as much as I love the Andrews sisters, and boy, I love the Andrews okay, sisters. Okay, good. Thank you for saying that. I was going to say it too, and I was afraid I was going to get a look, oh, of, no, no, look no. of derision from, you know. Yeah, I just, I mean, is there oh. is there anything, is there any music that says World War II, 1940s more than just hearing yep. the Andrews sisters' harmonies? I mean, is there any other music that takes you immediately to that time? I could sit. I could sit and listen to them for hours, yeah. just song after song after song, and yeah. be perfectly happy. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. really great stuff. But as much as I enjoy that, mm. I can see the wisdom of the original version of this, which didn't have any of that, and you just yeah. jumped into right. this. Right. I think what we're saying is, if you got to shoehorn music into a movie, you can do a lot worse than the Andrews Sisters. Oh, yeah. But the movie certainly could have been, would have been just fine. Without all that, you know, without the... Or keep all the stuff that you already shot. Let the movie be longer than average. <laughs> yeah, right. Because right. the Andrew sisters are at the beginning and at the right. end, they just kind of bookend the whole yeah. thing. Keep that. That's fine. Yeah. But yeah. keep all the other... You don't have to adhere to some arbitrary running time. Just let it roll. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. don't care. Let it go. <laughs> but that's, of course, not what they did. Breathe. 
setup i love the idea of this deserted place that these two mm. schmoes have just inadvertently mm. <laughs> inherited by accident yeah you know down on their luck mm-hmm. in their wells who mm. suddenly have what might be hey who knows might be a fortune in one way or another either the place itself could be a fortune or they mm. you know there maybe there's money there if they can find it sounds great this is uh i mean this is similar to the setup of uh, hara island just from, yeah, the, yeah. Just from mm. the previous year good point yeah this is funnier yeah, than Hara yeah. Island by far, but then Hara Island... And intentionally Island, more... I mean, obviously, yeah. the comedy quotient is supposed to be... It, but I do think the comic writing in general is just yeah. better with this film. Oh, oh, yeah, definitely agree. And it's it's very clear. Anytime you watch any of these Abbott and Costello films, mm-hmm. it's so obvious that these two guys, when they're batting things back and forth verbally... Mm-hmm. They are a really good team, and it's obvious how much time they'd spent mm-hmm. together oh, on yeah. stage honing their craft mm-hmm. and getting this stuff right. Mm-hmm. Because even when you suspect that Costello has gone off on a, on some mm-hmm. kind of verbal mm-hmm. tirade or strange strange mm-hmm. you know little side road that nobody foresaw mm-hmm. was going to happen, mm-hmm. Abbott can like reel him in or yeah. at least stay with him well yeah. enough to keep that laugh going. Yeah. And it's just, it's amazing to watch a team that's that well put together and have worked together so well that they know each other's rhythms and they know how to play something if it comes up in a certain way. Yeah. It's it's well done and it's all really good stuff and it's always a joy to hear them doing this stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, Sidney Madsen, known as Moose Madsen, being of sound mind and under no duress, do hereby make this my last will and testament. Whereas anybody who would associate with me in the first place must be a rat... And whereas I can't tell my friends from stoolies, leeches, or chiselers, and whereas it's impossible to foresee who will turn yellow when the going gets tough, therefore I hereby bequeath all my worldly possessions to those with me at the final moment when the coppers dim my lights. That's us. Yeah. You mean we get his money? Well, there is none as far as we know. Moose Madsen always said that he kept his money in his head, but we never learned what he meant. Now, the only tangible asset bequeathed you is a tavern on what used to be Highway 129. A tavern? That's a hotel. Yeah. Now, that's funny. One minute you work in a gas station, the next minute you own a hotel. Next minute you're back in the gas station. Send Mr. Smith in. 
I've taken the liberty of asking my associate, Mr. Smith, to accompany you to your property and officially turn over the keys. Sure, it won't be too much bother? Oh, no bother at all. Just one of the conveniences we supply. Oh, hello, Charlie. Meet Mr. Murray and Mr. Jones. Murray? Mr. Jones. Hello. These are the beneficiaries of the Madsen well. Oh, yes, I know all about them. Are you sure it won't be too much trouble to take us out there? Not at all. I'll see that you're well taken care of. Oh, thanks. Now, since your property is off the main highway, uh, we'll have to take a private bus to get there. I'm making all arrangements. Now, you meet me tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock at 4th and Elm. We'll be there. Yeah. So, Matson's attorney introduces the uh, the boys mm-hmm. to uh, an associate an associate uh, named Charlie Smith. Now, you might remember that this film was shot yes. under the title, Oh, oh Charlie. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the Charlie that uh, Costello mm-hmm. uh, routinely calls for once they get to the tavern because he just freaking disappears on them. Mm-hmm. Well, until his body turns up. Yeah. Hope that's not a spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, there is no way to spoil a movie like this, so we're yeah. going to be talking about everything. <laughs> By the way, at the end, the Andrews sisters sing. So there. Yeah. <laughs> spoil the ending. It, yeah. Sorry. Hope everyone is not too disappointed, but yes, you do yeah. get another Andrews sister yeah. song, and that's how the movie ends. Lou there. Costello gets scared a lot in it. Uh, <laughs> that may be giving away too much. Too much. Story. Sorry. That, that might be. That might be too much. I'm not sure. Um, they then say that Bud gets irritated with him a lot. Oops, sorry, sorry. Oh, you've ruined oh, now it. Now ruined it all. You've ruined it all. <laughs> well, uh, Chuck and Ferdy, our boys, are unaware that uh, Smith, uh, that would be Charlie Smith, is a mm-hmm. member of Moose's gang and that he is looking for the money mm-hmm. and uh, probably doesn't have any qualms at all about getting rid of these two lunatics no. if, it, if they get in the way of him finding the money. But Charlie Smith has a range for a, a wildcat bus to take them to their rural property out in the middle of nowhere. We should explain wildcat buses. Um, back before the concept of, of public transportation, or before it was even possible for most people to just go ahead and outright own a vehicle, mm-hmm. not everybody could. Yeah. So there were these people who were kind of, how would I refer to them? Maybe. Think Uber. I was going to say, maybe. Uh, Lyft. Yeah, Lyft drivers of the, yeah. Yeah, think of all of these. Anyone who thinks that's a new concept. Yeah, no. exactly. Uh, no, it's just that Uber and Lyft have found a way to make money off these people mm. who are doing this and not mm. actually pay them. Right, so that's, yeah, yeah. That's just, that's how that, that's how that comes about. Well, wildcat bus drivers were called that because they weren't, uh, you know, certified bus drivers. They weren't, they weren't driving buses on any particular route, like in a city, as you might expect, they were people who could be hired to take a bus to some destination for mm-hmm. several people or however many you needed. And that's what a wildcat bus driver was. Well, they, uh, this guy who takes them out there turns out to be rather unscrupulous because as soon as everybody's out of the bus at the tavern in the middle of nowhere, the driver runs off, abandoning them and taking all their luggage with him. Now... <laughs> Charlie Smith did not want anyone else to be along on this bus ride. Mm-hmm. And he was a little upset when the Wildcat bus driver had, had allowed three other people yeah. to take a ride out there with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, we should be glad that he did this. Yes, because yes. the three people that are involved here, who the pe- three people who actually are along for the ride with our boys and uh, mm-hmm. oh, Charlie, mm-hmm. are uh, Richard Carlson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, a, in an early role, this is the this is yeah. the earliest I saw I've seen him in a movie because Richard yeah. Carlson, as you may be aware, or maybe you're not not aware. As soon as you see him, yeah. if you're a fan of the types of movies that we're a fan of, you would recognize his face pretty quick. Yeah, because he was in a number of great science fiction movies from the 1950s. Absolutely, 
think the first place I ever saw him was probably Earth versus the Flying Saucers. Probably Creature for me, I guess. was probably. I, would, I think I saw Creature earlier in life than I saw Earth versus Flying Saucers. So I saw Creature pretty early on. So that probably would have been my introduction to Richard Carlson. Most people are going to recognize it from Creature of the Black Lagoon. That's probably true. But he was also in Riders to the Stars, which, by the way, he also directed. No. That's, that's true. I think it's the only film he directed. And then uh, he was in uh, It Came From Outer Space, mm-hmm. which is just a great little movie. Oh, yeah. And then The Maze, which I love dearly, but... Has a bizarre frog creature in it, so some people some people don't don't deal with the maze very well, uh, which I can understand. Yeah, uh, and he was also in the Magnetic Monster yeah, from '53, yeah. and so if he had just done nothing but those movies, mm-hmm. he would have a really glorious place in the mm-hmm. hearts of all monster movie fans, especially from the 1950s monster movie mm-hmm. monster movie fans. But the uh, Fact is, I mean, he had a role in uh, the Ghost Breakers yeah. even before this movie, mm-hmm. which I mean, I would have to go back and watch the Ghost Breakers to even Spider-Man notice he's in it. I know, but um, he's just one of those um, one of those actors who you could just count on. He seems like a very sturdy guy who t- can take on any role. And in, in a in a lot of ways, I think he even said at some point in an interview later in life is that he seems to be one of those guys who could be counted upon to. Uh, portray a professor mm. or kind of a learned scientist effectively on screen and bring it across. Mm. Um, and he, he says, yeah, he's, he's, I don't think he was sure exactly why, but it did turn out that he got cast in a number of those types mm. of roles mm-hmm. and that probably brought the gravitas needed to some of these more outlandish science fiction movies that he made as mm. his career went along. And it serves him in good stead here because yeah. he is essentially the straightest of straight men in this movie. Yeah, yeah. He is not. He's not there to crack jokes. He's not no. there to do things that are funny at all. Mm-hmm. He is there to be the guy who gives them a vital piece of information at some point and can be counted upon to actually be someone who's on their side. Right. But he's not playing like the, the really the kind of the square jawed hero either. No, it's found he's that he's, he's he's totally really a geek, you know, and yep. and, and he actually does it well. I mean, he, he plays the character well, I, I, and it's fun to see him in this different kind of role. Uh, the woman who ends up. Sparking with him, shall we yeah, say? Yeah, is uh, this is actually her first Universal horror film, quote unquote horror film, if we're going to call this a horror film. Mm-hmm. Evelyn Anchors or yeah. Evelyn Anchors. Mm-hmm. I'm not still not sure yeah, exactly how either. that's supposed mm-hmm. to be pronounced. I've always called yeah. her Evelyn Anchors. I have too. But Miss um, Anchors, of course, who will turn up in the next film we cover? She will turn up many, many times. I was looking yeah. when I looked at her filmography. I thought when we're all said and done with this series, she may end up being the actress that we see more. Than any other once this series is done. When you when you look just look you at that, you may be right. I mean, listen to this. It's like I mean, she was the, in a the couple, Wolfman, yeah, yeah, Ghost of Frankenstein, yeah, Captive Wild Woman, yeah, The Frozen Ghost, yeah, that's one of the inner the inner sanctum movies, stuff. Yeah. Dra- a Son of Dracula, yeah. a Weird Woman, which I think is also that's another front, inner sanctum, the inner sanctum yeah. and Invisible Man's Revenge. I mean, oh, just wow. that right there. It's like that, that, so we may she may end up being our kind of uh, our poster girl for the forties, you know, and hey. Not a bad, you know, if you can have yeah. a poster of that. Not a bad example We'll never be sorry to see Evelyn Anchors. An incredibly pretty woman. Yeah. Very talented on screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, more than holds her own here, although I did find it amusing. Um, I kept backing the movie up mm-hmm. and showing Beth the fact that during that wacky-ass dance scene yeah. between Lou Costello right. and uh, Joan Davis, and yeah. we'll get to Joan Davis <clears throat> in a minute. Right. If you look in the background, if you watch... Uh, 
Carlson and Anchors, mm -hmm. they are just supposed to be sitting there at that table watching them do this. Yeah. And you can see them cracking up. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, which I'm is good. exactly yeah. the reaction that you would yeah. have. Yeah. But it's so obvious that it's genuine. These, yeah. These are, yeah. This is not something they're faking <laughs> for the camera. It's clear that this is, yeah. they haven't seen them, mm -hmm. anybody do this before. Yeah. And they're making this up as they go along and they're mm -hmm. just cracking up seeing yeah. it. Well, I'll just say it's right here. To me, that's the best part of the whole film is that dance sequence. Oh, really? You know, I think it is. I think it's, I mean, I like a lot of the things to film it. To me, that dance sequence is, oh, is the best part of the whole film. That was first of all, what what it is is these people all get stranded at mm -hmm. the tavern and they're mm -hmm. and therefore they don't have any luggage and they're just gonna have to stay overnight. Mm -hmm. And of course, Abbott Costello's characters are not concerned about that, neither is Charlie, because that's where they were coming anyway. Mm -hmm. But the other three are like, well, we're gonna have to wait until the next morning yeah. before we can, you know, find some way to hike out of here and get somebody who can get, you know, pick us up and take us where we were going. Mm -hmm. But out of nowhere <laughs> that mm -hmm. night as they're sitting down to try to eat some food that they've prepared there. Mm -hmm. Costello and Joan Davis's character, uh, who is she? She's the delight. She, to me, oh. she was the delight of the movie. You me too. Me she too. is yeah. absolutely fantastic. She's Joan great, Davis. Yeah. I've seen her in a number of movies mm -hmm. over the years. Mm -hmm. She's always great, but she is absolutely fantastic here because she shares two. Mm -hmm. Of the funniest scenes in the oh, movie. I know what the other one you're going to talk with about. With Costello. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. I was going to say the one I thought her own kind of solo scene, I guess you'd call it. Uh, I think she does a great job on the scene on the stairs with the yes. where she's coming down the stairs and being. I mean, that's a great bit of physical comedy. Uh, that's usually reserved for the male comedian, or you know, or the male star, or the comedian. Right. The stars of the film usually get that kind of scene. But I think they realized how good what they how good they had that she did a great job on that scene. Uh, but they, but yeah. She has some awesome stuff in the film. She was apparently quite popular in her day, too. Well, she uh, in, in, the, in the early 50s, she had her own TV show called yeah. I Married Joan. Yeah. And I've never seen any episodes Me of that. Either. I haven't yeah. even looked around for any, but I think I'm going to because yeah. as soon as, every time I get reminded of this woman, I see her in a movie, mm -hmm. I'm thinking, man, I'd love to see just a series of movies with her in it. Yeah. But I don't think that's mm -hmm. possible, but there was at least a TV series in 52. Mm -hmm. um, I have to say, sadly, she passed away in 1961 at the yeah. at, a, at an early age. She, she was did. only 48. Yeah. yeah, which is a really sad fact. Yeah. But she was in a number of movies, and I, I was trying to figure out where did I first see her in any of these things. And um, I think it, I'm not positive, but it might have been Sun Valley Serenade years ago. Mm -hmm. But every time she pops up in a comedy role, it is an absolute joy, and she. I, she's she's the, the the perfect example of a supporting player mm -hmm. who is good enough and sharp enough mm -hmm. to come in and really take advantage of that limited screen time and make a true mm -hmm. mark. Mm -hmm. And to the point where she is, to my mind, sometimes she's more memorable yeah. than the stars of the movie yeah. because... First of all, she's getting it all in as quickly as she can because she doesn't have as much screen time as Abbott mm -hmm. and Costello do. So her stuff seems, it's almost like mm. it, that, that precious item that you only get a little yeah, bit of. Right, so right. when you're getting it, it's just, mm. oh, it's so good, it's so good, yeah. it's so good. And then it's gone. Well, she And she plays a radio personality that yeah. she, she thinks they're going to recognize her by her scream. And one of them does, they go like, <laughs> oh, I've heard that scream. You're in how they recognize her. She's apparently been in all these mysteries. And it's a fun little comic bit in the film of the way that things keep happening. She's like, God, that reminds me of you know an episode that she's been in, you know, like uh -huh. like something that happened. And well, it's also but, funny that when she's really scared, she can't scream. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> Which uh, I thought was hilarious yeah. because Evelyn Anchor well, certainly doesn't have any trouble screaming. No. <laughs> well, this um, let's go talk about this because this works so well that I'm really actually surprised that they didn't do it 
more in the Abbott Costello series in the sense of giving Costello a female comic foil to play off of, you know, because I don't know that they, now they always, they they always typically had, you know, a couple of females that, you know, Abbott Costello would sort of, you know, be romancing, you know, and it was, you know, it happened that way with Lou's character or in several films. And again, it's been years since I've seen a lot of these. But that character was always straight. Yes, I don't ever remember another case where they actually paired him with a female comedian, but I think it just worked so well in this film, and this film was so successful that I'm surprised they didn't try and do that more. I can tell you why. (laughs) Egos or or, or Uh, just kind of a feel uh, that just taking too much, stealing too much thunder. Costello was was always... Uh, nervous about someone else being he was insecure. He was very he was, he was insecure about that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and it became evident in this because there probably would have been a little bit more of Joan Davis in mm-hmm. this movie, even. Mm-hmm. But it was very clear because it was very clear that mm-hmm. she was really funny. Yeah, yeah. and he was in, he was insecure. So those insecurities mm-hmm. are the thing that kind of kept him from allowing that looseness that would allow another actor, especially mm-hmm. a woman. Mm-hmm. To come in and really start hitting those marks, mm-hmm. and if you will, if you look at those later films, it's true. I mean, does anybody is anybody else really funny? And Abbott Costello meets Frankenstein. No, no, they're really not. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, and like I said, I don't remember any other characters like this in any of their other films. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, having that that kind of and it's a shame. I mean, it's 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 hard for us to um, be sad about the incredibly funny movies that we continue to get out of them yeah. for the next yeah. ten plus years. Oh, yeah. But at the same time. You're right. That is a road that it is surprising that they did not go down. That mm-hmm. somebody somewhere didn't try to force them to go down that road at least one or two more times because it plays so well in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. They are so good together. And it, and it just shows to me, and, and this is this is something that I will, I will stand up and, and go to the wall for. It shows me that without his insecurities about being, you know, the least funny person on screen at a certain moment... Mm-hmm. It shows that Lou Costello could have been a good partner to a lot of different people over yeah, the years if yeah. he had not been so concerned about that. Yeah, yeah. And it's a shame because it's it just shows you some roads not traveled that you yeah. wish there had been some yeah. impetus to get him to loosen up and, and, and let those kind of things happen. Because with this as a perfect example, mm. imagine if... They brought Joan Davis back in a later film or a later couple of films yeah. to do this kind of I same know. thing with him. Yeah, just imagine what Sparks would have would have flown yeah. off the screen, mm-hmm. and it's a shame. But yeah, you know, we, we, it's just like those lost sequences that they shot <laughs> and then discarded. It's just we're never going to see <laughs> well, him. So speaking of funny people, don't we really do anything? Uh, we gotta gotta say we've got a Shim Howard sighting in this yes, film. Yes, one scene and one scene where he doesn't even do anything funny in it, which makes me think that that's some of the stuff that also Mine probably got, got you know because yeah. he he was a supporting character or had bit parts in a lot of Abbott and Costello movies. But usually he at least got to do something, something. more comic than this, whereas this way he's just a, a soda jerk for and basically has a couple of lines and doesn't really do anything other than, oh, it's Shemp, you know, yeah. other than just looking funny like he did, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just, Shemp, Shemp Howard had been doing funny, oh, forever, funny yeah. supporting roles in movies mm. forever. I mean, he was in one of the, the, the great Thin Man movies in the 30s mm. yeah. in an extended role yeah. because... But well, this was even still because William yeah. Powell and Myrna yeah. Lois, Myr- Myrna Loy certainly did not care that yeah. somebody else was being funny on their screen. They did right. not mind if it, the, if it made the movie funnier. Fuck yeah. it, let's go. Yeah. But this was even this would still be, I think, quite a while before he became a stooge. You know, uh, yeah. became yeah. one of the stooges. So at this point, uh, Curly was still was still the in the third, the third stooge. But it's it's always fun for to have a, a shimp a, a shimp, shimp sighting. Yeah, I mean, exactly. we do have one here, so that is pretty cool. 
So, as you might expect, uh, things get out of hand. Uh, Charlie goes missing, and, mm-hmm. and uh, then they eventually do find his body. Mm-hmm. And let's be clear, the plot don't matter that much. No, 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 no. Eventually, they do find. Yeah, we should rephrase that. Lou finds his body, which means you're going to, of course, course, get get to a lot of the uh, oh, there's no body here. You're crazy, you know, kind of thing. So, well, let's talk about some of the strange things that happen that are Mm -hmm. actually funny as hell. Yeah. Lynn, what happened? What did you see? We got up the stairs and we saw someone looking at us. It's a fiend with fangs. Who? All right, all right, all right. Come in. Shut. Don't hold me. All right, hold it. Don't you get something straight right now? What happened? Did you see the push you made? Come on, 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 Who's up there? You, you, you coward! Come on down. It was only an owl. But with fangs. Hmm. There she starts again. Quiet. What were you girls doing upstairs anyway? Well, we went up to look for Mr. Smith and, and a place to sleep. Oh, sleep. That's what I could use. A nice warm bed to hide under. Oh. Uh, well, Smith is not in the cellar. Maybe it's best we look upstairs. Let's do that. Yeah. After you girls. Oh, wait for me. Although it's not my favorite segment of the film, it's impossible to talk about Hold That Ghost without talking about the hilarious sequence when they're trying to go to bed mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the room that Lou Costello ends up in first, he accidentally uh, touches the, the wrong the wrong handle, yeah. which turns out to be the switch that has the entire room flip yeah. around and go from being a simple bedroom uh-huh. to being a gambling parlor. Yeah. Where you know, the bed flips up and there's a craps table, <laughs> a table flips over and there's a roulette table and so on and so forth. And this, of course... Flips him out, mm. but as he leaves the room, he removes yeah. the coat from the hook that yeah. is the lever that causes yeah. all this to occur. And then, of mm. course, madness ensues because everything he's saying was there is no longer there. Yeah, This is a reoccurring thing with an Abbott Costello comedies and yeah. a lot of different kinds of wackadoo comedies, of course. Yeah. And it's hilariously played here because yeah. the moment when it escalates mm. is that beautiful moment when... Costello, Costello has raised such a ruckus that Abbott's character just goes, okay, fine, to hell with it. Yeah. You just go sleep in the room that I was going to sleep in, and I'll sleep in here. And, of course, he manages to find the switch in that room, yes. which converts <laughs> it into another gambling parlor that he can still no longer yeah. convince anyone mm-hmm. is actually happening because by yeah. the time he brings someone back to the room, it's, of course, normal again. Yeah. This is, I mean... It's been done to death over the decades mm. in different and more interesting yeah. ways, and they get more and more intricate and more and more strange as time goes on. Because once you've built that mm. premise and once you've done it effectively once, mm. you got to top it, or it's just not mm. going to be something people are going to think is all that great. Mm. Here, this being 1941, mm. it's very effective. It's well yeah. done. The whole yeah. the oh, whole room works effectively. Oh, and it's perfectly. incredibly elaborate. I was sitting there watching. I was thinking, like, man, they put some budget into this. I mean, that's a yeah. really elaborate effect, and it is used wonderfully, you know. But it's, and then and it pays off later in the film too, you know, yeah. when we get when things are coming to a head there. But but thinking like, wow, this is just just is really uh, incredibly constructed sight gag, you know. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm wondering the the budget apparently from what I've read is a, was $190,000. Mm. And some of that budget that's a that's way more expensive than you would expect it, mm. but some of that mm. is because they started filming, stopped. Yeah. Went yeah. made in the Navy yeah. and then came back and mm. restarted. So some of it is yeah. that problem, which yeah. is 
they essentially had to start and stop the film mm-hmm. and then throw out a bunch of stuff that they'd already spent money making mm-hmm. and begin again and film new sequences. So that budget is inflated for the kind of movie it is, but it's because of the way they decided to change things up. Yeah. Because believe me, most of the movies that we love from the 1940s mm-hmm. didn't cost $190,000. <laughs> no. <laughs> and it's like the one place you can definitely see the budget mm-hmm. in this movie is in this in yeah. these two very elaborate rooms. Yeah. yeah. Now, if you were to say, much as the Tom Weaver book, Universal Horror, says that Hold That Ghost is essentially a one-joke picture, the old scarum gag wherein the comic is menaced by a variety of monsters or evil presences yet can't convince anyone he's on the level. This is that movie, and it, it's a reoccurring thing that the, that Abbott Costello did in a lot of different movies. We've already alluded to the sequence that was something that these guys had developed as part of their burlesque show that they mm-hmm. fold into mm-hmm. this film. Mm-hmm. Which is the moving candle sequence. Yeah, yeah. Now, I had heard about the moving candle sequence before I ever saw this movie. Mm-hmm. And I guess it kind of got, when I first saw this movie years ago, and I guess it had kind of got built, built up in my head that I thought it was going to be like the standout scene of the movie. Oh, yeah. And it wasn't for yeah. me. It was the dance scene. Oh, right. Yeah. It was dance without a doubt the, yes. <laughs> the standout sequence of the yeah. movie. And it still is, to my Me mind. Too. This, yeah, this Going through it now mm-hmm. in 2019, it's still that sequence that I think, wow, yeah. there's really no way to top that. Mm-hmm. And the movie doesn't even try. It just does different things. Yeah. But the moving candle sequence is yet another scene where it is Lou Costello and mm-hmm. Joan Davis yeah. working really well mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. And... A lot of that dialogue in that, it doesn't feel like Costello's making that up on the spot. This feels like stuff that was well honed over time for maximum mm-hmm. audience yeah. effect in front of a burlesque audience, in front of a staged mm-hmm. audience mm-hmm. that were just there to be just there to be amused, there to mm-hmm. be to make things funny for them. Let's mm-hmm. keep this thing going. Yeah. And the the entire sequence is funny. Like I say, it's not the funniest segment for me. But I can see now mm-hmm. what I didn't see my first time through the movie years ago, which is, yeah, it is very funny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But a lot of that, for me, is it's the funny dialogue from Costello mm-hmm. and Joan Davis, just her her facial features, yeah. oh, her yeah. facial expressions. Oh, she's got, yeah, her expressions are hilarious. And yeah. But, of course, what that means is that this sequence was originally worked up with Abbott and Costello as a team. So it was the two of them. Yeah. Who did this section, this this whole segment that they folded into this film, and the balls mm-hmm. to put Joan Davis in yeah. that position to be yeah. the straight man in the scene, the one who's reacting to the out of control Costello who can't mm-hmm. make someone believe that mm-hmm. he's seeing this mm-hmm. candle float through mm-hmm. the freaking air or move across the table all by itself. Mm-hmm. That that's pretty mm-hmm. impressive. That is another thing. That's another thing in the in their entire career where I just want to shake yeah. Bud Abbott's hand. Yeah. For having the the sheer strength of character and the the mm-hmm. the, the, the centeredness mm-hmm. to allow someone mm-hmm. else to be the partner in yeah. that scene. Well, he's been called the greatest straight straight man in Hollywood history, and he and he, he probably he he's kind of proves it in this film. Yeah. A lot of things he probably probably was in a lot of ways, and a lot of it was because of his willingness to just give, you yeah. know, give give that to the to the to the funny people, and you know, and do his part. And yeah. he and he does his part. He's always done his part extremely mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. But this is the first instance in watching one of these movies where I realized that this was a piece that was worked up long before they made this movie, mm-hmm. and that means that Bud Abbott was willing to not be in the yeah, scene. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's big. Which to is, give that much over. That, yeah. yeah, that's a very big thing. Yeah, and it's impressive, and it's a very funny sequence. Yeah, we've already talked about your. <laughs> 
your 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 favorite sequence and mine, which is mm, mm. the the dancing sequence, yeah. the, the the whole thing done to the Blue Danube, which yeah. has no logical reason to exist within the film. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> I mean it really doesn't. But it is incredibly funny, and like yeah. I say, for for extra fun, just watch Carlson and yeah. <laughs> uh, and anchors behind them uh-huh. reacting in real time to what they're seeing right. on there yeah. on the set. But um, the film, there was a certain point where I almost thought the film was going to uh, amp things up just a little bit and actually be maybe try to actually be more than just kind mm. of creepy mm. with a lot of shadows mm. and mm-hmm. you know cobwebs and things like that where i thought they might actually inject a little bit of real danger in, mm. into the thing mm. and it really doesn't and no. that's when you know that's yeah. around the time they find charlie's body right and then of course the body starts moving around yeah, the time, right. yeah. which means something else is going on in mm. the house and i really did think that at that point it had been so long since i watched it that when i watched it just this most recent time i thought wait a minute does this movie get a little bit more Serious? Does it have a little mm-hmm. heft in the mm-hmm. drama? You know, is there some mm-hmm. dramatic tension that develops? And it's like, no, 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 there isn't. Mm-hmm. It's just there to amp up the mystery. It's a comedic mystery. It's not yeah. trying to be something overly serious. Right. The mystery is there just to give everybody a narrative clothesline to hang all these sequences on. Right. Would you have preferred there to be more of a narrative to something like this? Because mm-hmm. I would argue that there's more of a narrative in the Ghost Breakers, which yeah. is, of course, yeah. you know, a couple years before right. this, and therefore, mm-hmm. and, and, and it's clearly... The reason that movies like this were getting made at all is because the mm-hmm. Ghostbreakers was such a massive hit with Bob Hope. Yeah, and that one, that one has more of a narrative through line. There's yeah. a, there's a story going on. I mean, there's lots of bits of business being hung mm-hmm. on the narrative. Mm-hmm. But by the time, I mean, this is not that long after that movie came out. This is a year afterwards, and we're still no. we're we're already at the point where it's just you know a, a, a thin clothesline to oh, hang very, stuff on. Yeah. I mean, which would you, would you have preferred there to be, you know, more heft to what's going on, where there might have been a maybe a sense of danger at times? Because there really isn't. No, no, there's not. Um, I don't know, not necessarily. I mean, I, I don't think that it. I mean, it depends. I mean, yeah, I could always appreciate a. I could always appreciate a plot that's well constructed or throw yeah. some surprises at you or something. Whereas, yeah, this is pretty thin plot wise. There's no question. You know, there's not a whole lot. That goes on here. I mean, you know, you can pretty much guess pretty early on that somebody's, you know, that everybody, you know, everybody's after the the treasure there, you know. Yeah. So that's really what everybody's kind of ultimately one there, one way or the other, except for the people who are just kind of innocent to what's going on, you know. Um, but I didn't find myself wishing that it was anything much more than what it was, you know. The real reason that people come to rewatch these movies is because of the team at the center of it. Mm-hmm. And it really boils down to the comedic chops and the abilities of Lou Costello. And I think that the uh, Universal Horrors book puts this very very well when it uh, when it's it, when they write in here. He says uh, the pudgy comedian's repertoire of wails, stammers, and convulsive reactions to these strange phenomena qualifies him as the screen's most outrageously entertaining patsy. <laughs> Bud Abbott is at his obnoxious best, bossing his chubby partner around and putting him in his place with an occasional slap or two. That is the genesis. That's the yeah. whole thing. And the interesting thing is that in most of their films, you know, not always, but especially in the films that we love, uh, like you know this and Meets Frankenstein, and your typical Bud Abbott, Lou Costello film is we're sort of ta- we're so- always sort of wondering what's the backstory on these two characters. In most movies, they don't really give it to you. You know, no. there's no real explanation for what is the bond there, but there obviously is one. You know, even though. Bud Abbott, of course, spends the entire movie pretty much exasperated and flustered and, you yeah. know, berating. But there's obviously then, you know, they still will, like, do anything to, like, risk their lives for each other, you know. And it's always just kind of fun. I like the fact that most of the films don't really explain 
how these two guys ended up together. What's the connection? What's, what's yeah, their what's, bond? What's is like tying these are two they together? childhood friends? Are they just as like one of them? Are they just you know? Is it? Are they just? Were they? Are they? Are they doomed souls? Just doomed to to spend <laughs> purgatory in each other's character in each other's company? You know, these two <laughs> two characters who are somehow spiritually in, chained to one another that they can't escape. At least another. in this movie, yeah, they they yeah. have jointly inherited yeah, this yeah, place, yeah, and so that yeah. ties them to this yeah. joint. Yeah. <laughs> oh Lord, I'll, I'll say. Um, by the time, basically, from this point on, every predictable weird situation could possibly occur within the confines of a haunted old house takes place. Charlie Smith is strangled by a mysterious figure as he ransacks the cellar looking for Madsen's loot. Later, the gangster's corp keeps tur- corpse keeps turning up in the least likely places, sending poor Costello into fits of hysterics. Camille, that's the Joan Davis character, encourages a quote unquote ghost which takes refuge in Ferdy's bed, uh, bedroom, that ghost played by uh, character actor Nestor, uh, Nestor Pavia, who yeah, you've seen yeah. in about a trillion movies. You're right. A pair of men identifying themselves as detectives show up at the tavern and soon disappear, leaving no trace. Yeah, that's kind of weird where those guys come in and then they just sort of automatically crawl under that sort of secret panel and then they're just... Gone. Gone for almost the whole and, rest of the movie. And, and there's a go, part of me that wonders, yeah. was that one of the pieces that just Yeah, because that just film? seems to me just like sort of, yeah, that, that that was an odd kind of thing about it. It doesn't make a whole yeah. load of sense, right. but at the same time, there's so much going on yeah. that it really slips completely by. Yeah. Well, after endless cavorting, Chuck and Ferdy, that would be Evan Costello, stumble across Matson's bankroll, which is stuffed... Inside mm. the mounted head of a moose. Yes. Ha. Ah. So he played us all. He played us all. <laughs> like I cheap keep, violins. I keep yeah. my money in <laughs> my, my head. Yeah. Yes, Moose Matson. The <laughs> final joke is on us. Yes. Well, um, during this sequence, this was fun to find out. Mm-hmm. Uh, much of Costello's dialogue in this sequence, when he's fiddling around with yeah. the moose's head, yeah. was completely ad libbed at the time. I can believe that. Yeah, yeah and it's <laughs> really funny stuff. Yeah. Uh, before the boys can take stock of their fortune, the tavern is besieged by gangsters. Grabbing the bag containing the money, uh, Ferdy leads <laughs> leads the hoods on a frantic chase through the hotel, finally scaring them off by emitting a loud wailing cry which they foolishly mistake for a police siren. That's weird. Yes, it is. That is a, yeah. (laughs) That that sounds to me like uh, we we haven't written our way clear to this. Yeah, that was. Let's do this. Yes, I did find the whole ending there to be a little abrupt for, you know, the way it all kind of. Seems like you're right. It seems like it's kind of going to something. You get yeah. a lot of good chases and stuff, but then it looks kind like of it's going to get, it going to get really serious yeah, or suspenseful yeah. or something, and then it doesn't. Or there'd just be some last big free for all with everybody yeah. fighting the gang, you know, gangsters. gangsters and but then with the bundle sort of, of money is like some kind of prize yeah. everybody's trying to grab. But, but then but, just yeah, it does kind of fizzle a little bit there. Yeah, yeah. Well, at this point though, the Richard Carlson character, Doctor Jackson, who has been analyzing the water the whole time, analyzing the water because it tastes really weird. Yeah, he, he has discovered that the water in the area has got a lot of uh, minerals in it, and is therefore mm. quote unquote a health tonic yeah and so chuck and ferdy raise the entire tavern and build a glamorous new resort <laughs> on its on its location complete with you guessed it yes live musical entertainment involving the andrews sister who apparently at this point you can't get without ted lewis tagging along either <laughs> yeah i know that's ted really lewis weird. is an odd sort of what character I, isn't well, he? I, I love the fact that in this movie you have costello making fun of that odd cadence of his oh, speech when yeah. he's on stage is everybody is i mean it's almost like everybody happy? it sounds like a guy sort of about to go to sleep at any moment he's like the epitome of laconic but it's you know a lot of times people forget how how or don't you know know that 
big band leaders were almost like the rock stars of their era, of that era, yeah, you yeah, know. That's true, and that's and true. so a lot of movies, a lot of Hollywood films are trying to get that kind of guy in there, you know. And but yeah, Ted Ted Lewis is, has got a strange uh, with that whole cricket hat thing and that whole laconic sort yeah. of drone. It's a strange little well, shtick he has there. You don't but forget it. No, you don't. No, it's, you don't. Cer- yeah. it's certainly a memorable yeah. thing. Yeah, it is. So yeah, yeah. Makes sense in that in that yeah, regard. Right. Well, before we get to some of the the uh, critics uh, of, uh, at the time when the film came out, I love I love reading some of those. Oh, those are fun. Where where would you put this as far as the Abbott and Costello movies? Because neither of us have seen all of the mm-hmm. Abbott and Costello films. Well, honestly, I may have, and I'll tell you because really? I haven't really given you the history of my history of Abbott and Costello. See, they oh they God. see there was a television station here when I was growing up that actually for months at least actually it seems like they did it for like a year or two or not, but every I think it was every Sunday in the afternoon would always show Abbott Costello movie, and I feel like they had them all. I mean the wow. the whole run. Um, so it would not surprise me if I if find out you know if I were to to someday finally go through a rewatch of all of them all to find that I have seen them all because, <laughs> and they didn't show them in any kind of chronological order. Of course, they just oh, showed yeah. a random, and they showed them over and over. You know, so during that period there i got to see what i think was probably every avant costello movie probably two or three times each at least wow. probably some of more now now of course me being who i was my favorites were these scary or well, the, the monster, monster ones film, you yeah. know i really enjoyed to mostly as far as i remember i enjoyed them all i just really loved avant costello but um i what what was fun about this time coming around here to finally find the history i had never really realized how early in their film career this film came that it was literally their first year of being big yeah. being big movie stars it was like their third or fourth film you know that came out well, actually so actually it was uh, the second one shot the second one shot and then i guess when it was actually third released, one released yeah. yeah so i never realized it was that early and that made me really appreciate as i said early in the podcast you know that really probably if not for this film we don't get Abbott and Costello make Frankenstein because oh, what this yeah. film did yeah. this this showed that this was possible yeah. for them because you know you know Tom Weaver mentions about how much of this film is 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 kind of cliched one note and all that stuff but for Abbott and Costello this was a first you know this yeah. is for as far as filming as far as in a movie this was their first foray into kind of supernatural or you know spooky kind of thriller territory and audiences ate up so much. They love scared Luke Costello, you know that, yep. and so much to the degree their response to it was so positive that they started putting some sequences of of Costello getting to do this stuff, even in films that didn't have true that weren't of overall that kind of tone. They would kind of be like, "Let's do a scared Lou sequence there," because audiences just loved it so much. So I think it's amazing that all this happened over a period of just seven years because it feels like there should be more time between this and Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein because they made so many movies. Well, they made more than 20 movies. Oh, yeah, and just in that shorter period. So, you know, of course, we know when they get to Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein, both their careers and the monsters, you know, careers are both kind of taking a dip. both faltered heavily, yeah. And And that movie reinvigorated the the the, the Abbott Costello's careers heavily. To the point where they were making films until 1955. But you think that this, this, this—they brought back even the same writers that wrote *Hold That Ghost* to write *Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein*. Yeah, so you can yeah. see when they're thinking, "What can we do to to give these boys a boost?" They went back to, "Hey, look out! This people love this movie." Yeah. And the template for it, and and so many of the bits. I mean, even I don't think it's a coincidence that but Abbott's name is Chick in *Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein*, and it's Chuck, Chuck in this because because yeah. of what what Luke Costello could do with that, you know, could do with that sound. When he was being scared, uh-huh. you know, so take, that stammer is hilarious. Yeah, so. yeah. So taking it in that context, it, it made me really appreciate this film. I always, I always enjoyed it as much when I was a kid. Not as much as I did the one with the monsters, but I was always happy when it turned up. 
But now that I can really put it in context, I kind of appreciate it even more as to what, you know, its importance really in their career. As I said, it's always fun to see what this movie was thought of at the time it came mm-hmm, out. Mm-hmm. And it, honestly, man, this was a well-reviewed movie overall. Uh, from Dorothy Masters in the New York Daily News, mm-hmm. uh, seems to me it's funnier than Buck Privates and In the Navy. Better lines and bits of business plus something laughable in the way of a plot. Mm-hmm. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, they've done it again. This is a review from uh, the Motion Picture Herald there in 1941. Uh, in fact, by count and with witnesses, the, the Mr.'s Abbott and Costello got more, louder, and longer laughs in Hold That Ghost than at, at its Hollywood preview mm-hmm. than they did in Buck Privates or in the Navy. Veritably, it is to be doubted any two comedians ever got so many laughs in one picture at any time, anywhere. <laughs> uh, from the Motion Picture Daily News in 1941. On the evidence provided by a capacity preview audience, this is the screamingest riot the boys have turned in. And I mean screams, not just guffaws, blurts, or hee-haws, but screams. <laughs> now... I love this one because you gotta have you got you gotta have a flying ointment. You gotta have yeah. somebody pissing into the punch bowl, right? Oh, of course, you got to. New York World Morning Telegraph. To an impartial observer, it does seem that the boys are running short on material. Hold that ghost only occasionally has the two boys firing the question and answer business at each other, with much more of the sliding door business thrown in than we really need. Good rowdy risable slapstick. So he's got mm-hmm. some problems. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Sour grapes to him. Sour, sour grapes to him. And one more from the uh, from the uh, film daily, July thirtieth, nineteen forty one. A surefire riotous comedy is a cinch to please, and it should ring the bell at the box office. Lou Costello has never been funnier. At times, his comedy is so fast that lines of dialogue are ignored, and the audience roars at the pantomime he uses with his lines. Producers Burt Kelly and Glenn Tyson have plenty of production here. The script is top-notch material for the funny man. Cool. Yeah, yeah, that's fun. You know, Adam and Costello really are probably my second favorite all-time comedy team. Really? Uh, a classic comedy team. I mean, I'm not thinking. Your, well, I'm not thinking of modern things like yeah, yeah. Monty Python. Well, if you're talking classic, I mean, classic. My favorite is Three Stooges. My favorite is always okay. going to be Three Stooges. Adam and Costello will be a close second. Now, I love the Marx Brothers. I really do, and I recognize that what the Marx Brothers did really was probably overall. I don't know if intelligence is the word I'm going to want to use, but just maybe clever. more, maybe cleverer than I would over, say. And I do. I, I prefer the Marx Brothers because mm. there's a level of cleverness oh, there, to what they're doing. Yeah. There's a level. Well, well, there's a level of satire most yeah, of the time. Yeah. There's a level of social commentary that gets mm. blended into a lot yeah. of what they do. But then they're you, equal parts physically and verbally hilarious. Yeah. yeah. But I think Abbott Costello. It's because of you know I don't even I don't even remember if I saw a Marx Brothers film when I was really little growing up. Oh, really? I think it was a lot of years before. So whereas I saw so much Abbott Costello and so much Three Stooges, I think I just have that soft spot you know yeah. for them. You know. I think I think I may have helped in wearing out a videotape of Duck Soup. I oh yeah. Honest, oh yeah. You know? now, I heard about the Marx Brothers and I was familiar with the characters because they were in pop culture everywhere. But it, I think it was yeah it was it was I don't it took a while for me to actually get a chance to really sit down and watch a Mark an actual Marx Brothers film. You yeah. Know, so yeah. But I mean, I I understand yeah. that. I mean, mm. God knows I love the Stooges, oh, and yeah. Marx yeah. Brothers, and Abbott mm. and Costello, and yeah, it's kind of exciting to me what, with this this whole big set of all of the, the Abbott and Costello mm-hmm. films coming yeah. out is that yeah. there are a number of them that I know I have not seen. Ride of Cowboy, I know I've never seen. Mm-hmm. Things like that. It's like mm-hmm. there are several in that listing. If you look at that list of twenty some odd films that they made that I know I've not seen, mm-hmm. and it's kind of exciting to know that wow, I they're, mm-hmm. they're still there. I can see them anytime I want to. This is mm-hmm. fantastic. But the uh, of course, now I feel kind of trapped because I know that we're going we're gonna to have a couple of them pop up in this series that we're doing, and it's like, well, I don't want to go ahead and like jump the gun and run far, run far ahead. <laughs> but um, I do 
enjoy the hell out of this movie. I don't think it's to me. It's it's not their funniest movie. I can yeah, see no, why audiences yeah. at the yeah. time would have felt yeah. that it was probably their funniest. Right. But I still think the funniest thing they ever did is is meets Frankenstein. Oh, me too. Me so. too. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, it is the is my all time favorite horror horror comedy yeah. altogether. It's oh, just, yeah. I think it's the Most best assuredly. one ever. Yeah. But I probably overall I think yeah. we love it. So. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean I I would I gave this film a seven. Okay. It would um. You know, it does have its you know it does have its 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 flaws and and definitely I, I do think the ending did need a little more punch there. You know, it's like but, they uh, were rushing it so that they could, yeah. they would have some kind of, they they had some arbitrary running time that they mm. wanted to meet and they mm. still wanted to squeeze it under their Andrew sisters number yeah. so they had to to get to that ending they have mm. where they have the I have to say that that the, the comedy bit at the end with uh, Costello you know stealing the money Sting and stashing, money, yeah. stashing it instead of putting it in the cash yeah. register stashing it into his pants mm. it's like that's not as funny as most of the funny stuff in the movie no, no. so to end with that being the last mm. Costello joke is like yeah it was a little, eh, little weak yeah whatever it's kind of a it's kind yeah. of a fail yeah. on that one and not that it's not funny it's just that there was a lot more funny stuff yeah in the in the previous hour, and I think really the thing that makes this lifts this from a six to a seven is actually probably those three supporting actors that that They're their amazing. characters that I think yeah. because a lot of Evan Costello movies did not have that strong a supporting cast as you get here. I think yeah, yeah, and I still think that that is one of the like I say it's because of that insecurity. I think yeah. that's one of the reasons why you didn't have hmm. the the stellar awesomeness of someone hmm. like a Joan Davis who was such a good comedian. Yeah, who could step in and be. A full mm. on-screen partner to somebody with the talent and skill set yeah. of Lou Costello, and yeah. just be great in the yeah. role. Yeah. And uh, like I say, I'm, I'm, yeah, you're right. I, I think it is a shame having never really sat down and until now mm-hmm. and examined this movie with an eye toward what really works in it and what I wish there was more of down the road. Mm-hmm. It's the it's not having Joan Davis in more Abbott and Costello yeah. films that I think is a real shame. Yeah, agreed. It's almost like not having Anne Margaret or more Elvis films, <laughs> and it was for that same reason. Although it wasn't Elvis's insecurity, it was his manager's insecurity. You know that kept yeah. that from happening again because they could have been, they could have had a a hell of an on screen partnership. But Colonel Tom Parker put a kibosh on that real quick, and he's like, "Oh no, audiences like her too much," you know. So yeah, <laughs> what's, what's not the lie? Oh God, Anne Margaret, yes, yes, indeedy do da. Nevertheless, folks, uh, that's Hold That Ghost. Uh, I think I could probably keep talking about it for another half hour or so, but I would essentially just start digging into why this scene is funny, which is probably one of the least interesting things to ever hear (laughs) discussed. Well, one more thing about the humor in this film, though, is is because that kind of hit me watching this film. I've never really thought about it before, because I realized how many things in the film you see coming. Oh, yeah. But I realize that's also part of what makes this type of humor so enjoyable a lot of times. You know, I think is that yeah. it's kind of a, a familiar, kind that. of a part of the anticipation. It's good when it does throw something at you that you don't see. Coming, well, you know, but a lot of times the buildups where you yeah. know, you're like, oh, I know where this is going. A lot of, and sometimes that doesn't work. But a lot of times I think in things in these comedies, especially with these comedies, we keep returning to Three Stooges stuff and having Costello stuff. You know, it's just part of the, I think, anticipation is knowing you know something that that the comedians, their characters don't know where it's heading is actually part of the fun, I think, a lot of times. In, in a lot of ways, humor humor is uh, very much like uh, the structure of a song. Yeah. And this one is well built. And what I mean by that is one of the joys of a really catchy song, a song that sticks in your mm-hmm. mind, mm-hmm. is that tension and release yeah. a, as the song builds, mm-hmm. builds to crescendos and then backs away and then mm-hmm. builds again. And with that rhythm, once you know what the rhythm of the song is, yeah. you're then anticipating that. And that's part of that kind mm, of humor yeah. we're talking about here, which yeah. is some of this you can see coming just around the corner, but the characters within the story can't. And therefore, yeah. 
you're anticipating and therefore feeling that suspense mm-hmm. that you're about to have something really strange or funny yeah. or weird happen. Right. And it's just and, and yeah, that is part of the joy of it. Mm. That really is. It's 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 similar in the way songs get structured. Boy, that went off on a tangent, didn't it? <laughs> well. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Folks, oh, we're going to take a quick break, come back, and then we've got a bit of feedback that uh, we probably should have gotten too long before now. But it got lost in the crossfire. <sighs> Traveling across the Atlantic, even, <laughs> even over the internet, is apparently difficult. Back in a moment, folks. Just how drunk are we going to get? Welcome to Good Beer, Bad Movie Night, where each month we drink finely crafted brews while watching terrible films in order to see just how drunk you have to get to enjoy them. So tune in and join Troy. Killboy Kreitz. <laughs> oh, that was pretty good. Thank you. <laughs> Dave. I have the weirdest boner. And Pete. IPAs are ales, meaning they are bottom fermented. Excuse me, they are top fermented. I f- that up. <laughs> As we drag Kathleen, kicking and screaming through an alcohol-fueled podcast dedicated to movies of questionable quality and the frosty adult beverages that help make them tolerable. Good beer, bad movie night. Clearly, it's the beer's fault. We're back, and uh, we've got uh, just one piece of email uh, that came in for the Bloody Pit. Uh, you can reach us at thebloodypit at gmail.com. And, of course, you can do exactly what this listener did. Mm-hmm. That would be uh, Adrian Smith, <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the fellow who uh, joins me once a year on the podcast to discuss <laughs> whatever movie we uh, we can agree upon. This time around, of course, it was uh, in Seminoid yeah. a couple of episodes back. Mm-hmm. Uh we always we always tend to go for the weird ones, folks. <laughs> and Seminoid being a definite weird e. I mean, yeah. he and I've covered Cannibal Holocaust and Seminoid. <laughs> when you think about the the movies that we choose, wow. I mean, yeah. <laughs> we're hanging it out there. So, uh, this is Adrian. He's got a uh, report from uh, this year's Fright Fest. This is from uh, actually he sent this to us originally in August, and I apologize we didn't get to it before then, but. Uh, uh, I'm a bad podcaster sometimes. So so hang on. This is uh, this is Adrian. Hi, bloody pit. Uh, it's Adrian here, out on location once again. <laughs> uh, this time I'm calling you from London's glittering West End. I'm actually on Leicester Square, uh, right in the heart of the West End of London. I'm sitting outside the. Um, I'm actually right outside the Odeon at the moment. But today I've been in the Empire cinema all day because it is Fright Fest, which is a four or five day long festival. And now I can't do all that because I'm, you know, human um, and not a machine. But I have come for the last day and it's been really fun. So I've seen four films so far. I wanted to give you a quick rundown uh, and let you know what I thought because, you know, there's no one else I can really tell who'd be interested. Um, I saw a film called... The Black String, which amazingly was a film school graduate's 
like final movie basically for finishing film school but it's really good and it stars Frankie Muniz old uh, Malcolm in the Middle himself and it's a kind of weird trippy uh, is he mentally ill or is he the victim of witches kind of story it's really good enjoyed that a lot uh, then I saw a really funny odd film called Satanic Panic which I do recommend you check out if you get the chance um, basically how uh, it's a, a girl who's a pizza delivery and she goes to go to this really rich neighbourhood and when she gets there it turns out that all of the people that live in this gated community are worshipping Satan and trying to raise a demon and they need her to be their virgin sacrifice <laughs> it's pretty funny uh, it's quite gory uh, but mainly funny so I recommend that one then I saw the craziest film of the festival which you may have heard of this the Banana Splits uh, movie which is I believe I mean, it's directed in South Africa I'm not sure if the director was South African but it's obviously based on the Banana Splits TV show um, but the premise is that the Banana Splits are not they're not people in those costumes they're actually robots and the robots go on the rampage and the banana splits start killing people off uh, at the end of one of their studio recordings it's really funny and bizarre and I cannot believe that Hanna-Barbera signed off on it I mean, you've got to admire them really it takes a lot of guts to uh, give your IP over to a gross-out comedy horror film so, you know, well done Hanna-Barbera and then I've just come out of the world premiere of Rabid, directed by the Soska Twins. Uh, and I got to meet the Soska Twins, which was cool. They signed posters for everybody at the end. So I briefly, you know, for like three seconds, got to talk to them. So quick that I didn't even get to have a picture with them. But I did take a picture of them. But Rabid, the new remake, uh, is really good. If you like body horror. And uh, yeah, very impressive and very similar in some ways to the original but also quite unique in other ways so there you go there's one more film to go I'm seeing I think it's a British film called A Good Woman Is Hard To Find and uh, of course for me it's actually quite easy to find a good woman because she's at home with the kids whilst I'm here in London having quite a silly day out but I love all this kind of stuff. I haven't been to Friday Fest for three years, so it's really fun to be back. I love all the freebies as well. <laughs> I'm really in it for the freebies. I've got a goodie bag crammed with stuff, including now a Banana Splits T-shirt. So that, you know, that's worth the price of admission on its own. Uh, anyway, so I just wanted to give you that little festival report. Um, there's been a lot of documentaries that look quite interesting. Like there was one on Michael Reeves, who, of course, directed uh, Which Fighter General. But that was playing on a day that I wasn't here, which is a shame. So they do have some sort of retro strands to the festival as well, but today it's all about new films. So, yeah, I'll go and see what this last one is like. Uh, I've enjoyed your shows. I just finished listening on the train on the way up here to The Black Cat. I've not seen that one. I think I have got the box set that it's in, um, if it's the right one I'm thinking of, a Universal Horrors Collection from several years ago 
but uh, I'm looking forward to checking that one out. I know we've discussed this briefly on Facebook. I really hope that you guys delve into the Universal Horrors Sherlock Holmes movies. I mean, you have to if you're sticking to the book because they are in there. And I've seen a few of those quite recently. I bought the big Sherlock Holmes DVD box set must be 10 years ago and then never watched any I don't know why until quite recently I've just started watching those uh, I maybe watched one a few years ago and then forgot that I had it but I've been enjoying going back into those because they're all only an hour long pretty much so they're quite easy to dip into um, so I'm looking forward to hearing what you've got to say about those okay uh, oh one last thing I'm looking forward to hear, reading Troy's book on the use of fog in films um, there is an excellent chapter in a book called Merchants of Menace on the use of fog in uh, well, what you know as Horror Hotel what I think we call City of the Dead um, Christopher Lee New England kind of witchcrafty film very early Amicus production Milton Sabotsky film uh, so if he's serious, I know he isn't but if he is serious, there is actually a very good chapter written about uh, atmosphere and fog uh, that would give him a kickstart on his quest to write about every movie's use of fog. Okay, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Oh, P.S. Um, this is me now the next day. Uh, a Good Woman is Hard to Find was really good. Highly recommend that one if you ever get a chance to catch it. I also, I forgot to mention that Dario Argento was the special guest of Frightfest. He was there on Friday. And uh, so I missed that, unfortunately, although I did see a video of it, which was pretty cool. Um, But he was there to launch the English language translation of his autobiography. And I was lucky enough to pick up a signed copy yesterday. They had a few left. Uh, Whilst it would have been great to have met him, uh, getting a signed copy of his book was uh, quite a nice um, runner-up prize. yeah, so Frightfest was awesome. If you're ever in the UK, try and get there for at least one of the days. It's really fun. Oh, and I did manage to get a picture with the Soska sisters in the end. So uh, that was another tick on my uh, Frightfest list. All right, anyway, I've talked enough. Bye. Well, we don't get to go to such events. Oh, no. Wow, geez. What do you... I guess you got to be a friend of the Queen or something to get to go to these... Uh... <laughs> things uh, I, I think this is this is essentially the kind of thing that adrian does i, I mean he, yeah. he gives a reason because he yeah. doesn't have anybody yeah. else he can talk to about this <laughs> in his in his in his circle there where he mm. lives but at the same time this is just you know cutting open a wound and rubbing salt into it it That's, truly is truly is uh, but uh, i picture, gotta say picture with the saskas indeed picture well not just that mm. but the the whole idea i love i would love to be because you and i years ago we used to actually go to something where you would get a couple of mm. premieres yeah you get a couple of premieres a 24-hour yeah. horror movie marathon where you would get a premiere or two mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. it wasn't always a good movie no but it was still it was still yeah. it led it it, it it added a bit of excitement yeah. to something of that nature mm-hmm. and i got to say i'm interested in most of the movies yeah. he talked about yeah. the only one actually i had really heard of was that banana splits one and yeah. it, i did think that's just an amazing idea because of course i grew up watching the banana splits you know and, he has, and all those Hanna barbera you know hr puff and stuff and all that and so i agree with him it is amazing 
that they got away with doing this film where that Hanna-Barbera gave them permission to do something like this. But that's definitely one I've been wanting to see. I guess you got to think from Hanna-Barbera's perspective. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's f- like completely it's a fallow. Dead, it's a dead, I mean, dead it, franchise, it, dead idea. Might as well, hey, someone takes it and run with it, sure. You know, can merchandise it and we get the cut of it, sure. Yeah, exactly. Ahead. They're going to make some money off of it no matter what. So. Yeah. Yeah, I still haven't watched that, although uh, I have been loaned by some friends. I've loaned, mm. I've been loaned their Blu-ray to sit down and watch it one night, but I haven't managed mm. it quite yet. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm intrigued by that film he mentioned, The Black Stream. Yeah, that sounds kind of That sounds really yeah. interesting. Uh, and I had already heard of the film Satanic Panic. Had you had, had not heard of that uh, one. I've heard some sounds very good fun. things about it. Sounds very fun. It. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things where... Um, well, I won't. I won't say, but I do say. I, I do think that uh, that's probably if if all those movies were lined up on a shelf, I'd probably reach for Satanic Panic first, just to, mm-hmm. just because it sounds it the most sounds interesting really of the bunch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, and as far as the Saska sisters, really the only thing of theirs I've seen, I did really really enjoy, which is American Mary. I don't know if you ever got to see oh, yeah. that. I Love really like that, that movie a lot. A yeah. Uh, I have seen more than that. As a matter of fact, I was really. I have to. I have to admit, I've been impressed by what I've seen from them. Uh, I've not seen everything. But I did really enjoy. I've still never seen Dead Hooker in a Trunk, mm-hmm. um, but I have seen uh, American Mary, which I really liked, yeah. and I was a fan. I couldn't believe it, considering there was really nowhere to go but up. But <laughs> their their sequel to See No Evil. Oh, oh yeah, is that good? Um, <laughs> is it was actually quite good. I enjoyed it. Cool. Yeah, but uh, you know the, mm. the 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 first film was a you know fill in the blank you know. Mm-hmm. you know slasher style stalk and kill kind of thing and yeah, they really brought yeah. something interesting to the sequel that wasn't there in the original and okay. I actually really enjoyed it cool. which was a bit of a shock and I am intrigued I, did, I didn't see Vendetta I've not seen uh, uh, that's the only mm-hmm. finished feature film that they've done since yeah. then but I still haven't, I haven't seen that because to be honest I forgot it existed but this idea of them doing uh, a fresh take on Rabid the Cronenberg film yeah. Yeah. hey I'm, I'm, yeah, open, I'm open to out. see what it's like sure. yeah um, I, and they did a segment in the second ABCs of Death, which I've seen the first one, but I've not seen the second one though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, not, I've not seen their uh, their short in that as well. But uh, I am curious about the the movie uh, Good Woman is hard to find. Yeah, yeah. I try, I don't want to. I, I kind of I read the description. A recently widowed young mother will go to any lengths to protect her children as she seeks the truth behind her husband's murder. I'm on board, but I automatically know I don't want to learn any more about it because yeah, I have the feeling yeah. it's going to have some some nice twists and turns in it. Yeah, and uh, Adrian, you are absolutely correct that Horror Hotel is very high on the Gwen Fogometer. There it is. It is <laughs> off the charts, in fact. it would. Oh, uh, it's well off the charts. Yeah. Yes, yes, but you're right. Um, but I know everybody would be curious to see where does the fog fall in that. I know, but uh, you know, just that, to... that's just it. Just hmm. recently, back in October, rewatched uh, the fog. It's it's kind hmm. of become an annual watch oh, for yeah. me. Oh, yeah. uh, and it's uh, over the past ten years or so. Mm-hmm. I think I think every year I've watched mm-hmm. it at, at some point or another in the year. And and I, there's a lot of great fog in the movie, mm-hmm. but it, it it it's never. There's only a couple of scenes where yeah. the fog is like creeping into a room with yeah. people. Yeah. It's that thing where you're running mm-hmm. away from the mm-hmm. fog because yeah. of what is in it that's mm-hmm. going to harm you. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, a lot of fog. But I, it seems mm-hmm. like it seems like that the scale that you use, yeah, the weightometer, yeah. is really weird because it's like you know ankle high is, is one, <laughs> you know, ankle knee high, thigh high. There's probably you know there's probably more fog per square inch and get any you know Mexican horror movie from the you know 60s or something <laughs> than there is in the actual fog so yeah I mean no, no, there is a lot of fog you're just always yeah. running away from it that's right if the fog's there then you, you <laughs> what you're dealing with then are ghosts yeah. and that's a whole other problem <laughs> that's right so. But uh, I'm curious about this book he's talking about, Merchants of Menace, yeah. the, the Business of Horror Cinema. Mm-hmm. Looks like a book I may have to... Uh, that sounds really interesting. 
find me a copy. Yeah. I'm just looking over the... He, he's right that there's a chapter on fog, but also some mm. of the other chapters are really intriguing. Um, there's an entire chapter on called Risen from the Vaults, Recent Horror Film Remakes and the American Film Industry, uh, Monster Factory, The International Dynamics of the Australian Horror Movie Industry, uh, Bad Medicine, The Psychiatric Professions and in Interventions in the Business of Post-War Horror, now, that may sound too heady for a lot of people. That's ex- that's like catnip to me. That's exactly the kind <laughs> right. of thing I want to read. Right. But uh, yeah, I think I'm going to have to look that book up. It sounds yeah. really intriguing. It does. But um, cool. once again, Adrian, thank you for uh, sending us a report. If you, once again, want to participate in the same way that Adrian has, you can email us. Either you type it all out like that old-fashioned lunatic mm-hmm. that I am, or... <laughs> You can do the newfangled thing and record it and mm. send it to us like Adrian because Adrian is above and beyond typing. <laughs> he has a doctorate now. He doesn't yeah, give a shit. That's right. So, <laughs> once again, thank you very much, Adrian, and thank all of you yep. for listening. we just like to remind everybody that uh, the next time you hear from the Bloody Pit, Troy will be joining me along with John Hudson for our annual holiday horror episode in which we focus on a movie called To All a Good Night. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is available on Blu-ray, so it's not mm. impossible to locate whatsoever. Mm. I also think there was an earlier DVD release, so not a difficult movie to locate, but uh, certainly one I have never seen. Yeah, me either, me either. I don't I don't even know if uh, John Hudson has. This may be new to all of us, so the three Ooh. of us. Hey, I'm not sure if he's seen it or not. We'll have to ask him, but I, this may be something that all three of us are are new to here but uh very interesting that's yeah. uh that's unexpected i don't think that's ever happened with yeah. the holiday horrors yeah. before i think we've all been fairly well acquainted with the movies that we've covered so far so that should be good so once again folks thank you very much yeah. join us next time out for holiday horrors and i do want to say one quick thing oh, just one more okay. thought to leave you with according to the imdb the andrew sisters sold 75 million records so, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So whatever your your favorite artist, favorite rock star, favorite, you know, you think that they, if you think that their sales are impressive, uh-uh. It, it all Andrew starts sisters. with the Andrew sisters and goes from there. But. The Andrew sisters blows them all out of the yeah. water. <laughs> Whoo, man, it's good stuff. It is. All right, folks, I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we will see you next time. Comes from Rio de Janeiro. She dances in a little street cafe. And when you're down in Rio de Janeiro, here's what you'll hear each Latin lover say: You're a sweetheart in a million. Oh, Aurora, with your manners so Brazilian. Oh, Aurora. When you smile and call me honey, oh, Aurora, is it me or just my money, oh, Aurora, I'll buy you this and buy you that if you'll be true to me, I'll even rent a cottage and present you with the key, so if you marry me and be my sweet senora, oh, Aurora, Aurora, be mine, be mine, be mine. You're a sweetheart in a million. Ha 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 ha, Aurora. With your manners so Brazilian. Ha 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 ha, Aurora.
you smile and call me honey. Ha 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 ha, Aurora. Is it me or just my money? Ha 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 ha, Aurora. Just my money, oh, Aurora, Aurora, be my. 